yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. A bit unusual for the normal intro that y'all are used to. Now, you say, hey, yo, what's up with James? We don't see him that much. I mean, some things just change. Some things just change. All right. Let me go on and get a piece of paper. Pen. Or, no, no, no. Probably. Maybe I could use the other side of this piece of paper because it's blank. And we got our pen. Why make things even more complicated? All right. <clears throat> so, this is going to be a big episode, a mega episode. So many things to catch up with and go over. So, in this episode, it's just an intro to tell y'all what's coming up. So, we're going to talk about what I initially wanted to talk about, obviously, is the tarot, the continuing y'all lessons. We're going to do the astrological forecast, like like what we usually do. We're going to, um, also, I wanted to talk about Kanye, I wanted to talk about World War Three, and maybe something else that, if I could <clears throat> remember it, or maybe that was it, you know, it's been a while, so... You know, I was telling myself, yo, I, I gotta touch back with y'all and see what's going on. All right. Hope you enjoy these segments. All right. So, today, it is February the 28th. We're going to be doing your astrological forecast. Now... This could be, I believe, uh, 10 to 14 days in the future. So this is going to apply for if you listen to it on the 28th of tonight uh, for the next 10 days. <coughs> so what we got with uh, the whole solar balance with uh, the moon. And we're getting closer and closer to having a perfect little balance of sun and night. With day and night, I should say. Day is going to be spanning for 11 hours and 14 minutes. And our night is for 12 hours and 36 minutes. Our March equinox is going to be in two weeks and five days, so... Y'all folks get ready for that. So, uh, uh, sun transit is going to be at, uh, 12.09 p.m. That's when it's going to be highest in the sky. And our moon illumination is at 4%. We're at a waning moon, technically. We're heading towards a new moon, and the new moon will be in one day in 17 hours. And the moon will be highest in the sky at 12.28 a.m. Yep, you can see that moon early in the morning. It'll be high up there. And then it'll set. 
at uh, 3.22 p.m. And then they'll rise again at 5.42 a.m. So what we got going on? Up real close to the lunar new moon. New moon. So let's see the summary. So today I've noticed that Mars and Venus, well, more than just today, it's been coming up that Mars and Venus have been at war with each other. And today Mars is going to be trining. It's sextiling the north and south nodes, so it's going to be tugging and pulling. That purpose and that passion you got today. Um, both where you where you came from and where you going. And then tomorrow, Venus is going to have its tug and pull with your north and south node. Trying in this sextile. It's going to try in the north node and then sextile the south node. Tomorrow, March the 1st, at 3.53 p.m., the moon will be going into Pisces. New moon. Isn't that dope? And then March the 20th, I mean, March the 2nd, sun going to sextile Uranus, and then Mercury going to conjunct Saturn. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Let's go ahead and break that down. Sextile means we're at a super placement in the angle of where the sun is in relation to Uranus. When it's a trine, you got two houses over, and when it's sextile, you got four houses over. Or I believe, I believe that that is so. You know, some people might have to correct me. And um, that this when they're talking about trying a sextile, these are um, relatively good, positive placements, because the other more negative placements could be opposition. You know, um, depending on which which planets you're talking about, you could be talking about conjunct, because some planets could be. Non-compatible with each other. Like a Mars and Saturn, you know? If you remember that whole lesson. So, with the Sun, Sextile and Uranus is another little touch to the lingering effect of Aquarius season. And Mercury is going to be conjunct, going to be in the same house as Saturn. So, maybe... Your day-to-day life is going to shrink just a little bit. You know, there's going to be some organizing going on in your day-to-day life. And how how refreshing, because then the official new moon would begin right after that. So, <clears throat> you got Uranus filtering some innovative, unique things towards your sun. And then Saturn organizing that stuff for your daily life. Boom, here's the new moon. Start off fresh with some new ideas. I like that. 
in March the 3rd, uh, Mars is going to conjunct Pluto and then Venus is going to conjunct Pluto. So back with the wars between Mars and Venus, Pluto is going to go in and cleanse both of them. Hopefully things go well with, with what's going on with these energies going to war with each other. And Pluto's power transformation. Death, rebirth. These these planets power going to be going on on March the third, and then the moon is going to go into Aries. So he's Mars is going to be bolstering a lot of power. Aries, a lot of power. Fire, moon, right here. And now we're going into the next ten days. So on March the fifth, sun going to conjunct that that uh. Jupiter, so looking for expansion and egos. And Mars is going to go into Aquarius, and Venus is going to go into Aquarius on the 6th. So they're going to go through some changes. After they all got done with their transformation and power transition on the 3rd, Venus is going to then clash Go to battle again with Mars on the 6th. Then the moon is going to go into Taurus. Going to slow things up. We can look forward to the moon going into Gemini. Then it's going to make things chaotic. Then Mercury is going to go into Pisces. And communication might be a little wacky if I didn't imagine. <clears throat> what we just got out of was the moon and... Aquarius and the moon in Capricorn. And boy, was the moon in Aquarius a delight for us. Right? We we off to a new page, a new start, and that's what Aquarius moon does for us. A new, yeah, I've been refreshed. So, let's go and look at... um. The chart right now. So we got Uranus at odds with Mercury. So you're going to have some tension going on right now. With, do, I, do I implement this new idea into my routine? And your Jupiter is squaring your moon. Or no, should I say, ooh-ooh, ooh-ooh, your black moon, the black moon is in Gemini, and it's cusping, what, the black moon is cusping the mid-heaven, so a lot of dark things are going on, and it's growing with that Jupiter. You know, uh, my black Lilith has uh, the aspect of Jupiter. Yeah, man. So we're talking about a hidden agenda that is growing. And the fortune is, yeah, with Mars. Hold on. Is it with all three of them? 
Yeah, this is with Mercury, Mars, and Venus. So there, there's a there's a war going on, and it's spending these two elements together. And we're we're gonna have to see probably like in mid March. What's what's who's gonna win? What's gonna happen with all this? So how fitting for me to even start recording and being on a new little thingy and all that. Because guess what? None of there is the moon in Aquarius, but Virgo's in the first house, and that's just my natural placement. With Venus in the second house, that's my placement. You know, matter of fact, no wonder I'm on a new page doing what I usually do, and it's just all lolly dolls because... Literally all the signs are at its place upon my birth today. So that's that's some dope. You know, um is something else aligned regarding my birthday is, you know, Saturn being in the fifth house. And, you know, what what I could tell you about Saturn in the fifth house is a little uncomfortable because Capricorn and Saturn isn't the star of the show, and they know that. And when Saturn and Capricorn is the star of the show, we're talking about drudgery, doomness, you know, the, the old man, cold air, breeze in the room type of vibe. When they're, you know, being the usual self, they're the ones that that would naturally bring that element. And it's just how they are, you know, as long as people are open to it. But more importantly, they understand and they're open to it. That is just, you know, they these people also could be going through depression. <clears throat> Any other placements that is natural, you know, upon my birth? You know, that was it, you know. And it's just, it's just so ironic with astrology. Every time I look, right, literally every sign is in this house upon my birth right now. So let's go on and look at the conjuncts. <coughs> Conjunction, junction. Nobody's opposition to anybody. We got the major square, you know, with Mercury and Uranus.
Oh yeah, last but not least, we're going to be talking about week one, not a complete week. I believe it is the official, as we speak, the sixth day, not a complete sixth day in uh, Ukraine because, you know, they're on a different time. Right now, it is nighttime for us, so, you know, uh, maybe it is uh, the sun is starting to rise for them over there. And because the sun on, you know, set, matter of fact, it's eight, the sun on set like around six or maybe five for us. So, yeah, it's about morning all the way out in Australia, India. And um, so they they're they're in the very early parts of of their sixth day at war. All right. But in this episode, I may not even get a chance to do the seventh day so we're just going to say we're reporting the first week of war <clears throat> now some people might call this a new cold war some people might even call this world war three ah and um this 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 is really going to be a series regardless of um the day-to-day activities because this will also be an opportunity for me to give y'all some more history lessons. So let's um, go over modern day what, what happened and what's going on is that. Little did I know. Well, I, I didn't know because a week before the Super Bowl, it was a really warm day. It might have been... Um, yeah, yeah, it had to have been that week leading up to that Sunday. It was a really warm day. I went out for a bike ride with with a group of friends and we get to a resting spot and I hear some guys talking about, yeah, World War Three gonna start at Super Bowl. I'm just like, What? Like I didn't hear like your whole conversation, but that little sound bite just stuck out to me. I was just like, what are you talking about? That was so random. And like, it scared the heck out of me. It's like, yeah, man. Because the guys normally don't talk like that. You know what I mean? What they usually would talk about is bikes, trips, family. You know, some hopeful things. So hearing the guys, like, like even like one of the guys say that. It's like, yo, are you serious? Like, what's going on? And he told me very specifically that there are Russian troops moving are going to be deployed right at the Ukraine border and they're planning on invasion. And I was just like, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I kept remembering that because it, it sort of stood out to me because it's like, yo, here's somebody who normally don't even say things like that. Or, I mean, in, in all the bike rides, I, I've been riding with these guys, especially this one person. It's like, yo, that's, that's some spooky stuff right there for you to say. So Super Bowl all kicked off. <clears throat> and, um, you know, as you experience, you know, there was nothing much going on, and I, you know, forgot about it. I was like, all right, well, it's a good thing. I guess war didn't start. And then a couple of days later, without me knowing, it, it really did start. And by the time 
I tuned into the war, it was the third day, I believe. Or maybe the second. But definitely, I could say the third day. And I was like, yo, this is for real. And it really got me even, you know, saying like, yeah, this is some World War Three, if not definitely some Cold War type of element that we're 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 experiencing and we're about to experience legit and um quick analysis is that there are two most eastern states in Ukraine that did strongly align with the Russians that the Russians have, you know, swiftly taken over. And they're going to want to get that most eastern part of all of Ukraine so that they can have access to Crimea and the Black Sea and to the rest of the channel. Because uh, other than northern Russia, Russia is like a landlocked type of country. So... Having that access is very vital for trade, communication, all of that good stuff. That's why I would see an interest. But also, in my opinion, because everybody's like trying to figure out what, what's really going on with Putin and with Russian troops and all that, is that um, he wants the capital city of the Ukraine, of, of Ukraine, and by capturing that, you would effectively have a lot of control of most of the country, if not all of it. And why is because Ukraine, that landmass, used to be a part of greater Russia way back in the day when the Russians inherit that land from the Mongol Empire. The Mongol Empire was the ones that carved out that land in the first place. And when they fell, the people that inherit that land inherit rulership. And, you know, resumed with 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 things, but not in a Mongolian way, but in a Orthodox Christian like way. So, you know, fast forward the story, they lost Territory, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, and uh, what did they lose? Poland, Slovakia, I believe, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, uh, Georgia, and you know, maybe a couple others, right? And, uh, yeah, Putin wants to, you know, fulfill the old country mythos. Gain its land back. Unify the people. And that's what he's aiming for. At the very least, access to the port and the overall control of the city. And it would, in my opinion, would put... America at a detriment if that's all that he do because Ukraine all the way up until 
of recently today has considered to sign the UN papers was not a part of the UN or NATO, meaning that policy-wise, pen and paper-wise, our intervention and involvement is limited to them. And that what America, the best we could do is to give them funds, money, to help them purchase the, all, the, the ammunition. That's the best we could do. And it's probably not even coming from us. It's coming, it, going to the EU for the EU to organize and to distribute what they need to the Ukrainians. So a lot of people were critiquing that Putin has been futile in capturing any cities, the capital, the country, you know, all together within these first couple of days, few days, I should say. And um, I would say that's a good thing. And I'm also thinking, I think there's more than meets the eyes to this situation. And maybe there's a trap. Maybe, you know, something is moving. There's an extra element to this that is not being said or people aren't picking up about this attack, this war. What's going on? How is this relatively small country with a small military budget and capabilities able to fend off a much bigger, more technologically advanced uh, country? And it's like, all right, besides all the wild conspiracy that I'm about to tell you, more truth is that he only sent small small units of like helicopters, single tanks, you know, single truck, you know, caravan of a small or single caravan of, of, of troops. And I noticed it's just very isolated. You know, on a practical note, he's testing the water, seeing how far they could go. Maybe honestly thinking that it would be that easy to capture any of the cities or the whole country. But maybe, you know, because his army has almost got the country surrounded in different positions of of attacking and for further attacking, that uh, the real fighting has even begun. That what you got there was just the stragglers, the scouts, the suicide, the kamikazes, the the reprimandables, you know, the um, disposables, you know, I think what you just got there. And that also, you know, to, to mobilize that much and to coordinate in some fashion takes a whole lot and takes a long time. That's what people are also seeing. But, you know, you don't did all that posturing and you don't moved all these troops and all this equipment and even built up a narrative not for you to have a peace talk and then turn everybody around and for everything to go back to normal. I think you did all that because... This is going to be drawn out and you're going to be very methodical and you're not wasting everybody's time and you're not wasting resources. And that you very much intend on doing something on a large scale. And 
I think, you know, maybe on Putin's end, this is more of a psychological battle with what we might perceive as hesitating. Because since what we would perceive as a hesitation or a lack of progression in his advance is the midst of, of, of that, he says, and I'm putting my nuclear deterrence on high alert. I'm putting all my nuclear capabilities on standby. You know, got everybody like, oh, oh, what's what's going to happen next? We we ought to not do this. We ought to not do that. It's like, yeah. You know, he's, you know, also the other element of Russians is Russian spies. You know, all the subtle things happening. We don't know how much spy work and how much sabotage and infiltration that. The Russians did maybe in some due time we'll figure out there was a lot more going on than meets the eyes because we're over here looking for conventional street you know infantry battles when all reality there could be a silent massacre happening you know so that's also the thing about the Russians is they don't fight like us. So I expect some unusual things. And, you know, the nuclear holocaust scenario is that the bombs that they're using are so deadly that if you're not directly hit by the fire, I mean by the bomb, and that initial ball of flame that would be falling upon said target. And you're not killed by the the air that would be compressed upon ignition of that nuclear blast. And then upon even a larger radius of the sound and the sheer force then expanding upon this implosion, you know, virtually throwing cars as if they were made out of cardboard and paper, you know, debris and your body being mangled because you essentially is thrown harder than any hurricane that has probably ever touched down or twister, tornado, you know. Even a wider range is that even if you wasn't but happening to look directly at it, you can be temporarily blind and still suffer injuries from that blast. Of, if you can imagine the trees violently shaking around you. That, in that radius you're still very much dead because of the nuclear fallout. So you would need to be even at a further radius for you to witness it, for you to feel it without your body being thrown and broken, but also for you to escape the nuclear waste. To put it into context, depending on the bomb, it's not even depending on the bomb at the the location that I'm at, if a bomb was to go off at Statue of Liberty or downtown New York or even uptown New York, 
I am in the fallout radius. Praying to God I am not in the blast radius. Because the actual blast radius is small. Matter of fact, the, bla the actual blast radius is the distance of Manhattan. You know, from the Hudson all the way to the other, you know, side of the river. The, the actual sheer force, <laughs> we are like at the cusp of that. And, you know, just imagine if you're not, every bone in your body is not broken and the furniture in your house and the, the roof have not collapsed on you that has crippled you and left you unable to move. You probably would not hear and you probably wouldn't even be able to see if, yeah, you know I mean, if you was indoors you know, you wasn't looking directly at that bright light. You have to evacuate as quickly as possible because here comes the fallout. There is no time for you to get yourself together and this rebuild. No, it is time for you to move because with time... You, the radiation in your body ab absorbing that would cause you to die. Yeah. You know, you'll feel lightheaded, nauseous, you begin to vomit. And, um, you know, not feeling too good, feeling a bit pale, and, you know, you collapse. Is, is uh, the results. It means anything that you touch or you brung with you, it, you know, would emit a very low frequency of, of radiation. Your your actual body, you know, how to even decontaminate yourself of, of the radiation that has fallen on you is, is, uh, is a hefty one in that, you know, even if he was to survive and all that, and you, you know, you you gotta, I think, go through some lumps to finally be clean because you would just be slowly dying. You know, the, the, the very boots and shirt and that, you know, backpack and things that you have would have radiation on it and radiation emitted from it. It would take hundreds upon thousands of years for that radiation to truly dissipate. That's how how finite radiation is because radiation, if you can imagine, is um, finer than traditional solids and elements. And, you know, it goes right through you. And it's affecting you. Because it's going right through you, you know. Classically, traditionally speaking, you know, lead is, is you know, could, could protect you from, from that. It's because it is dense enough to, to repel some of it, but not all of it, you know. Um, and last but not least, a crazy conspiracy.
You know, maybe the same way Belarus and maybe even Moldova could be a puppet. Maybe the Ukraine and the president could be a puppet. You know, um, I notice he's asking for guns and for bullets, but not for any protection. You know, don't your citizens need helmets? Don't your citizens need bulletproof vests? But you're asking for guns. What do you intend for guns? You know, all these people are so enthusiastic about fighting. Can't be about fighting the Russians. What's, you know, maybe conveniently they haven't taken the capital because, you know, if you can only imagine my wild conspiracy, right? It's just, you know, I know that some people won't allow that or tolerate that that type of thought, but uh, it just has me thinking that really just baseline with this war, maybe there really is more than meets the eyes and that there, there might be some extra element to this war regarding the Ukraine and Russia that we just don't know something else unfolding because the, the the scenario that would pop out is that a number one he gets you know access to the sea b he goes and gets gets the capital you know effectively getting most of ukraine maybe the most western part of it that borders you know romania and poland you know, would be a stronghold for the last territories of what you would formerly call Ukraine. But then at that point, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania would be isolated and cut off and easier to divide because, uh, you know, north of it is Russia and south of it is Belarus, which is, we all know, a territory of Russia still, as much as they want to posture as them being as individuals. You know, it's just another puppet country, really, for Russia. You know, it'll be easier to conquer those very small countries, you know. Even though they're all separate, they all have their own individuality and all do not want to be under Russian rulership. And once when you have those four countries, regardless if you have Maldiva, you will have a very fine line in Europe, what they will call as the red line, the original red line, meaning from this point on, now you're in a communist Europe. And if I had to take a guess, strategically speaking, is a fortified type of um, position for Russia to be in, maybe exponentially hard once when that is is formed, even probably before, you know, obviously, Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia, because of, you know, how small they are, them just having that access to the sea, you know, gives them just a little bit of an edge, because there is also a small, very small uh, territory that Russia owns or has control of that does still, you know, lead to that uh, ocean that Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia uh, borders. So, 
you know, it's just my guess and, you know, what's going on with Putin and, you know, um, the moment America or Germany or France, Britain gets involved in this war, it will automatically be a world war. You know, that's a country that's been neutral in this. That's also a superpower that doesn't want to pick a side is is India. India has a strain but neutral as of recent uh, well no not as of recent <laughs> they almost bumped heads actually with with China they've been rivals as of recently now I think about it but uh in uh with with Russia because They've been uh, developing um, military technology together. And um, for the use of India, you know, they came up with, with uh, a weapon. That's been a success. And, you know, they're looking forward to, you know, collaborating more with, with the Russians. So during this whole ordeal, India is sort of like, oh, um, I'm not really picking a side. I'm not saying I'm for the Russians. It's like, oh, man. <sighs> you know? All right, guys. I'm out. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks. This is NNM Radio. I am your host. This is going to be lesson, the next lesson for the eighth house. All right? Last lesson, uh, we went over the seventh house. Now, today is the eighth house. The eighth house <clears throat> is a high concept, complex thing that you're dealing with. Traditionally, Scorpio. Traditionally, Pluto. These are high concept things. And the best way that I would interpret it, being of somebody of somewhat of that scorpionic light but not really as like projecting it or of it is that these are the elements and the things in your life that are going to evolve and change you and even give you power because Scorpio's archetype is death, rebirth, transformation, power, sex. You know, some people even will go into more detail saying the occult, but you know, that that really is off the table. We're just saying <clears throat> that, you know, when you hear Scorpio and people talk about dark and secret, next word is cult. But, you know, obviously it doesn't have to be cult-like because, you know, that's that's something a little more further than just spirituality at that point. I believe you could agree. So, I know, it's very high concept. What does it practically mean? Well, depending on your sign and depending on the planet that's in there, we could try to gander what's going on. So like what we always would do, grab a piece of paper, Let's look at some examples. Like I always would do, we could say our Capricorn rising friend. 
drying some grass right now. So here's our Capricorn rising friend. So right here on this horizontal line where the sign is, is Capricorn. So what plan is going to be here? Well, like what we always would do in the previous episodes, we'll say that the good old sun is right here. Sun in the first house means that you have this strong presence. And 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 people people probably could could glow in it to even sense your glow because the first house is your survival self when things get down and dirty your low frequent self these are the traits that you exhibit effortless effortlessly. When we're talking about the primal self, it's like, why do you get hungry? Why do you get sleepy? Why do you fall in love? I believe all of these elements are all primal within us. So the, I just told you the sun, its presence, what it could you know, mean the the first house is traditionally the house of Aries. Aries is purpose. Aries is passion. Aries is order. <clears throat> no, I take that back. There can be, of course. You know, I'm not really taking that back. But um, Aries is the initiate. That's a better word to use. Somebody that can initiate a call to action. And with your son being here, this is in regards to your presence, your ego, your power, your, your regalness. Because a part of regalness is the knowledge in what you do says more than your posturing or you believing that other people know that you're a queen or that you're a king is more than just that. And that's where a lot of people fall from their grace because they're so worried about, but do you know that I, I am like that? Somebody who knows what they're doing in their place and in their power, their capability and their strengths don't need a squabble back and forth with quote unquote respect. Now I know you're taking it as if somebody just you no, know, I mean some people take it that if you don't acknowledge like a title or a tone of voice or 
a lack of eye contact or too much eye contact. That's, you know, really low-hanging fruit. That if in your regalness, you are exercising at its full potential, would not affect you at all. So there goes the first house, Capricorn. And second house, we could say Mercury is here. All right. Now also taking in mind, are you doing whole house, equal house? And the difference is to tell you off the top is if it's like equal house, it would take all the signs and equally distribute them within each house. And, you know, if you have whole, then you'll have a bunch of cusp, as they would say, meaning your sign would be in more than one house. And... You know, to tell you real quick, if I haven't told you, is that's where you talk about where you might hear people say, I'm a cusp sign. Know that they're not talking about their planet. They're talking about a sign and that there is no way that your planet can be in both sides. When it's 1159... It is not 12 o'clock. You cannot legitimately say it is the morning. When it's 12 o'clock, zero, zero, then you will say it is the morning. And that's how planets are. You could be in the very last degree, the very last position that the planet could be in before it merges into a new sign, or it, your planet could be in the very first degree of that sign. It is what it is. And with that being said, it really deludes the meaning of what a cuss sign means if you ever hear people talk about it. Because either their son is distributing attributes of which house. Because expert astrologers will say, it's not about the sign that your son is in. It's about the house that your son is in. If you want to get to know somebody. And I, I would doubly have to agree with uh, astrologers when I hear that. So let's go on and assume that this is whole house and not equal in trying to make things uh, fit. So we could go on and use more than one example for these planets. All right, so your Mercury, second house. If you remember, second house, Taurus. Second house, traditionally Venus. Second house, 
feminine because that's what Tauros is. And Venus, the planet, is female. It is Libra, the sign that is male, that a lot of people like to get it mixed up. But hey, you heard it here. So what you have, your, your Mercury in the second house, you're going to have um, a nice balance right here, apparently. Because Mercury in uh, relations to Venus is a lot more cordial than when it could be with the sun, depending on some angles. When Mercury is like far away or furthest away from the sun, possibility it could be in a different house than the sun or even in a different sign than the sun. And that's where you will have some dissonance between your ego, your heart, and your daily life, communicating, travel, you know, your your relationships. That's what Mercury is. It's about cooperation. Mars is about competition. So, Mercury in Capricorn. This is a person that could come off as the boss to everybody around them and they see a project and a task where they go. Their ego is not involved. And a lot of people might take it because Capricorn tends to do things for a reason, not for no reason. This is a big picture type of element that Capricorn is and what brings. Now they... If I had to take a guess, if you wasn't cooperating with them... Of course, they wanted to do better than you because when you get big, they get bigger. That's an element of Capricorn. They like they like to do it big. They like to do it right, grandeur. You know, when when things aren't right, they they feel out of place, and they haven't rehearsed or practiced or prepared. When they know that what they're doing is not going to stand the sands of time. No, their, their heart is not there. And with Mercury, when you get to know somebody, you could look at their Mercury. So we're talking about their relations, their close relations. We're talking about what they want to cooperate with people on. Second house is value right here. So very baseless, it could be money. On some other notes, on other, you know, um, beliefs or interpretations, value yourself, value others, value different objects, value concepts. So 
this Capricorn right here in this second house is is very much not going to be wasting time because that's also an element of Taurus is taking your time patience this is gradual progress this is the element of Taurus right here and you know on the downside that if you know some other interpretation somebody else might bring I could imagine that when Capricorn is being stubborn and very slow in its place and rigid in its communication this could be a bit cumbersome but you know Mercury in the second house is a good placement overall it's a it's a great money-making placement because Mercury is cooperation. When you figure out how to cooperate or get people to cooperate with you regarding money or what you value, Capricorn, you can build something grandiose, I would say, with with this type of placement. Yeah. Capricorn does have the potential to reach to the mountaintop. Right. So let's go over to the third house. Let's say Venus is in the third house. And um, right, right after Capricorn, we could say Aquarius. All right. And I think this is also where we could trade off some signs and have just a little bit more fun with this. So here we are. We got Aquarius in the third house. This is a joyous, harmonious reunion right here with Aquarius. I mean, with Venus in the third house. Third house is traditionally Gemini, traditionally Mercury. And like I told you, when you got your communication straight, your relationships will will bloom, and that's what that is the 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 benefit of the Venus and Mercury conjunction transits is is the it's the the beauty of 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 a well balanced relationship. Now, if you know Mercury. is right on top or very close to Venus, we got a clash right there. But as long as Mercury and Venus are at a good distance away from each other, able to balance in the house or in the sign, we got something good. If Mercury and Venus are in the same sign, but in different houses, then we got a, a balancing going on. And is when when planets well some planets are are close together like if the sun and Venus was very close together you got a power a power couple right there you got 
well, not so much as like like you're in a relationship, but I mean like a, a power combination. When Venus is at the heart of the sun. But um, back to Venus in the third house, your relationships bountiful. You you end up making very good relationships when you travel a little, when you open up, people tend to want to link up with you and gravitate towards you. You have that Venus aura that that is welcoming, and that's what also Venus promotes is ples pleasantness, you know, cleanliness and delightful. And you, your communication, your Gemini, like house with Venus there is is a good, strong placement. Now, here we go. Aquarius. Venus and Aquarius. A, a lot of people, when they're, when they're saying and pertaining to nuclear, foundational, classic, traditional family or love and relationships. When Venus is in Aquarius, it, you know, for those type of people, they, they say it's like a bad placement. But if you're like the type of person that maybe loves like a Sagittarius would love, and yeah, you know, the butterflies, the here, we in the motion, blissful, and you could do your thing, I could do my thing, and that's how Venus is with Aquarius. It's it it could be <clears throat> non committal because Aquarius is about the individual. So it's a bit hard. If you can imagine to build up the loyalty that Aquarius is so famous for having, because when you talk about loyalty, Aquarius, yeah, I like Aquarius and loyalty could be like the dodo bird jumping off the bridge, and and is not all for nothing. It really isn't. They, that's why I rate their loyalty, it, it has to be higher than everybody else's loyalty because even when it's at a detriment to themselves or to other people, they genuinely place their, their loyalty in said person or said thing. There it is. It would have to take some, some very strong convincing <clears throat> to themselves to awaken that individuality element of them to change. If they get a sense that, oh man, this is not unique, then they're going to change. Because Aquarius is an innovation. So let's say that Aquarius is on the cusp with Mercury and your Mercury's in the second house. Aquarius with Mercury. You know, Aquarius with Mercury is an intelligent person that 
that says something that's going to ring in your ear that is different, that is that is going to be something that would awaken or might inspire your individuality, innovation. You know, this... <clears throat> it can be a detriment, as I can remember, but I was like, you know what, that can't be fair because their son is also in a detriment. But, you know, t- to me, Aquarius sun people aren't in a detriment. It's like they're pseudo-Leos. They, they got this God complexes. They want grandiose. They, they want it all, you know? Like, <laughs> Aquarius is the type of person that wants to take over the world, you know? That's that vibe. So, you know, the sun, you know, my my opinion is not a detriment. So I was just thinking, like, you know what? The Mercury can't be really in the detriment. It can, I can see, like, you know, to balance out the pros and the cons. <clears throat> but, um, you know, as long as the person isn't too diversive with, with, um, you know, um, what's divergent, diversive with, with, and, uh, too authoritarian with, with their beliefs. Yeah. Aquarius could be a bit authoritarian. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry to say, hold all that back. You know, I'll keep it somewhat contained. Then other people would be able to thrive and to exhibit their individuality because, you know, the Aquarius would feel that their individuality is being shrunken. And it doesn't mean leading or being the only one talking or the loudest one in the room. It could even be the idea that they would develop in their mind that <clears throat> they're not unique or not being acknowledged for adding something to the community or that could do better and that was them that did it, you know, type of vibe. Or at least not so much that them did it because, you know, ego, I mean, God complex aside, they can even be caught up in the notion that that idea that you're doing that is not innovative is not being implemented. See, they they would view situations and things as, all right, this is not working. And if you keep on doing it, then they will be like, all right, you're not listening to me or I'm not even going to waste your time or my time. And, you know, you're thinking that two two ideas could come together. But if they get the idea that you're you're not going to work on the most innovative idea, then... You you lost them. You lost them. And it, it really strains their loyalty in the long run. 
<laughs> so, yeah, we already went over that. Let's go to the next one. folks this next episode is going to be about Kanye West being a fan of Kanye West it sort of feels like we're really are at the end of Kanye West I guess uh, his silver age or his second silver age because for giants it takes them a long time to finally fall you know, finally they hit the ground in totality, and no, he hasn't fell on the ground or is already, but I would believe that after that last listening party or concert, live performance, whatever you want to say, you know, as a Kanye fan and as somebody who who admires his artistry, you would say, gosh, man, I don't want to see it get worse, but I guess it, it will get worse. So, you know, obvious is that his sound, his sound check, uh, you know, was, was what, the what mainly ruined it. But it's like, I get it that Kanye likes the live listening and you get to experience the listening just like he's experiencing the listening of like unfinished songs and projects and it's like dang yo we allow this guy to do it but if somebody else was to do that we'd be like yo this is trash this is unprofessional and this and that and it's like at this point as a person that, that gravitates towards the art really do appreciate the art it's like the art is not even that high of a quality for as the sound the visuals oh my goodness the pictures the uniforms the effects top notch i was very impressed i was so much in love with it that's why it was just so much of a disappointment at the at the same darn time because also, you know, what ruined it for me regarding his performance is the lack of performance. Yeah, so we're going back to the element of, oh, you know, his listening parties is like him listening to it. So how can he perform a song? But it's like some parts is half-assed performed and other parts is just like you're you're reacting to it just like how we're reacting to it. But... You know, it's like, uh, it, I don't know, it's like I've seen this a little too many times for me to act like this is cool and normal or whatever. And a lot of times he would play a song, a previous song in a listening party and then would like drop that song and you're like, yo, I really like the song or you would attach or identify a, a song for this sound and this verse and then upon release is is different and that's how wolves was for me 
there was this version of Wolves that I really liked, but, you know, he went in a whole different direction. And he did restore some of that, I guess, version of Wolves that I really fell in love with. But it was like still that whole process, even before he restored, you know, Sia's verse and the other guy's verse, Vince Mensa's verse, I think, on Wolves. Or he couldn't. Or he didn't revive. You know what I mean? It was like, yo, <laughs> it, it sort of ruined it. And it's sort of like, dang, y'all, I. You sold me on this idea, and we didn't get this idea. So that's what I'm sort of getting the vibes with, especially so with this new project. There's, there's a song on there that I got a feeling he may not even want to drop because the circumstances of, of the production and, and, and what he sampled may not even ever be, be possible. You know, just because of his artistic choice, of course, you know, in, in doing so in the song called Wi-Fi. And we may not even get an actual release or completion to the song just because of the Kim Kardashian sample in it. You know, is Kanye going to compromise and be like, yeah, I'll take the sample out and still give you the song? Or is he going to trash the song because he couldn't... I mean, it's it's like things like that. And it's also like really kind of disappointing because I think the first time in a while, like first listening to a Kanye West album, I could say, well, yeah, in a while, because Jesus, not even Jesus came because I like multiple. This Donda album is like, yo, I think I'm only feeling one song. You know, the other songs are likable, but as far as like, I'm feeling this. This is like one of those Kanye songs I could always go to and bump. Like any good song that I could just go to and bump, regardless of the artist, is kind of disappointing. Just only one song. <clears throat> we were sold on the idea that 22 songs were going to come out, and it's, I guess, only 14 songs. You know, the way the show ended and as badly as that live performance in it, it gave me the impression that he ended the show early and that there were maybe at least four more songs he should have played us. Well, when you do the math, was, that's just 18. So, you get my point. He... Apparently, it's, I guess, just 14 songs, but, you know, the thing that's just, like, really, like, uh, I'm, like, saying, yo, this is the end of the line, it's only going to get worse, is the album release only being on a stem player, and it costs 200 bucks, a lot of people critiqued and saw through his little tactics, saying, how are you going to charge $200 for your album, and it's not even complete yet, my question, even you know, you know, of course I noticed that. But it's like, what actual practical use can you get out of the Donda stem player? Is that it, it, it looks like a miniature speaker that could literally fit in your hand. Like, like it's the sound really that booming quality and loud enough, you know, to play. Or is this like some little personal Walkman? Oversized cell phone speakers, you know, 
can you plug this thing up, you know, or maybe sync it up <clears throat> with a speaker so, you, you know, you, you have the ability to play, you know, on a louder setting, you know, is my question. And, you know, uh, maybe if I'm real bored, I would want to play around with it. But honestly, I just want to listen to the music. I don't know about being the DJ and remixing it and all that. I just want to hear the songs. Uh, if you could imagine, you, you're listening to the song maybe in your car and, you know, something moves around because you're turning or stopping. And your stem player falls and, you know, something is touching it and the line keeps repeating and you over here got to stop the car and reach down and it's like, yo, you, you got to go through that. You know, how sensitive are these buttons? You know, anything just ruin the song if you just wanted to play the song and let somebody listen to it. You know, how sensitive are these buttons or knobs or sensors on it? It'd be like my question. And... Uh, you know, also the reason why I wanted to talk about Kanye West is before I paid attention to the war, I was really paying a lot of attention to Kanye West and just soaking in the new mythos that he created from his old mythos. Because the ingenious thing about what I noticed with what he's been doing recently is he's not using anybody's mythos. He's using his own mythos. His own story, family history arc as a reference point in a direction for especially his visual art. And yeah, obviously, you know, sonically is his music. And <clears throat> I, 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 uh, touche to him, you know, honestly. It's something that, that I had to I had to have realized and every now and then I forget why do I do what I do as an artist and then I remember. And it's like Kanye self-realized that is or really created uh, an aesthetic. And, uh, you know, in my eyes or my experience, he did it so good to the T that even other artists have done the concept. Let's let's start off with the album. It's not original, you know. Uh, there's been artists in the past that dedicated an album to their mother. That had their mother on the album cover. Or even called their album, you know, their mother's name. That's not even original, but it just... It just like comes off as like, yo, this is such an original idea. And somebody else does it. It it's like, oh, you trying to copy Kanye, and now with him wearing the color black and being known now recently and wearing all black, it's like, wow. He he's he's given this impression that maybe out in the world somebody else could be like, dang, you like Kanye because you're wearing all black, or the sound of your music, it being soulful or spiritual gospel or it reflecting on your mother, it could come up to somebody that's like, yeah, man, you trying to be like Kanye. So this is it's another ingenious thing. But also the reason why I brought up the world war is because 
maybe on some conspiracy Illuminati level, Kanye West knew that the war was going to get started and he got to do what he got to do to produce this album, make as money as he can before the war gets started and all the media will be funneled right to, you know, the news media with the war and everybody paying attention to that because before it was the war, everybody going to the news reporters, it was the COVID and the quarantine. And before the COVID and the quarantine, it was the presidential election, what was going on with Trump. So the media right now, they're they're on their power trip reporting World War Three essentially. And uh, <clears throat> Kanye West, man. Uh, I thought Kanye West would, you know, had a relationship with Julia Fox because on the astral astrology note, he's a Gemini, she's Aquarius, so they both air signs, and she doesn't have to conform to norms. Or this is the new norm because that's, you know, the open-minded uniqueness of, of Aquarius. So she, as you can see, she was down for whatever vibe or aesthetic he was for. I mean, it looked like she, she was like a little puppy or amused to him, at, you know, at times. Like, she looked clueless. She needed his direction to even function around him, you know what I mean? So if I had to speculate... He's like, yeah, I'm different, I'm weird, I'm unique, and, and all that. And she's like, all, like, into the dark arts. Like, she, like, like she likes witch, and I mean, she don't use her blood as art. You know what I mean? That whole, <laughs> that whole stuff, you know what I mean? So, he's like, yo, I'm not about that life, real talk, like. I just released a gospel album and she's like, oh, I don't believe in God. And every time he probably talked about her or regarding God, they probably kept clashing. Because Aquarius, they believe in what they believe in. You know what I mean? Also, she does drugs and does hard drugs. Kanye, he he has done that stuff, but you know Kanye's not supposed to and he doesn't want to, so... I mean, you can't tell that when he was with her, there was some times when they was just, especially when they were all sitting on a couch with Madonna and Floyd, everybody just looking high the fuck up. It was like, yeah, man, she, like she been, she been getting you high and not believing in God and all that. So, and you're like, dang, I'm about to work on this album. It's supposed to be God. It's supposed to be my mother and all this, like. <clears throat> And, and I mean, my mother ain't meet Kim. If she can only meet Kim, and here I am with this foreign woman. My mom don't even know you because why would she know you? She's supposed to know my wife. And he's like, "Yo, I'm out." And uh, it it really it really shows a sad tale with with Kanye regarding Kim Kardashian. Because what I believe is that Kanye say that he wants a family life in the way that is natural to Kim on how she would view the family and what feels comfortable with, but honestly it's not. He sort of wants it his way whenever he feels like it. 
And from the information that we got is that the whole entire time when they were married, not the whole entire time, but after some time, especially in their latter years, Kanye wasn't spending much time with Kim. You know, um, even before the Wyoming purchase, you know, there's just like, all right, they come together for like these runways and these like paparazzi things. But in all reality, Kanye's always been running around and she's like, yo, you're, you're never home. So when the Wyoming thing happened, that was like such a hit. It was like, yo, you don't purchase the house and been living in this house all all to yourself by yourself. Like, I ain't never stepped into this house and you've been spending so much time over there talking about you want to be alone. You got to be alone. What? You don't want to be around me. So the clash is that family life and what I noticed with Kanye is Kanye is just so different and unique. He's like the sore thumb, even amongst the Kardashian family, if you notice. When everybody else is laughing and talking and just chilling, he's over here silent with the mean face, want to, you know, say something to get people to think the other way or something different. Like, like nah, y'all shouldn't be laughing. And then <clears throat> when everybody's going through something and I mean and, and got the druid face down, he's all up and I mean so he's like always off timing with his energy and his timing, you know, just knows with their with their chemistry. So they're like, yo, we we tried and, and Kim Kardashian also tried because you know, that Libra, that component, she tried and really fit change her life. Like, how she even visibly looked. Her body, you know, to, to fit in, to fit in with Kanye. So, you know, I think the ultimate straw that really killed Kim was like, enough is enough, is when she started seeing him wear a mask and wearing all black. And he's like, look, you're going to start wearing a mask and you're going to start wearing all black and the kid's going to start wearing a mask and the kid's going to start wearing all black and she was like, no, 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 enough is enough. Like, you have me in these ridiculous shoots. You have me in these ridiculous outfits. Like, like yo, I want to live a different type of life. I'm about to be a lawyer. You know that? I can't be a lawyer with a ski mask on. <laughs> so she's like, enough is enough. Like, I'm not going to be with you in public, with you also wearing a mask also, like, every day. Like, also the strain and, you know, what happened with that relationship is when Kanye West went on the political trail and when he had that, that summit, you know, that political rally and him crying and talking about a... a almost abortion, you know, Kim was like, yo, I didn't even know you was going to do that because before Wyoming and after Wyoming, you just always find yourself away from me. And when you're away from me, you this happened, you know, you, you're over here putting me in a detriment all the time. I'm already living a life that been in detriment because of what made me famous. And I'm always trying to prop myself up 
and to make make up for that. You know, do good by that. And here you are with the finances. Who brought him out of debt? It was Kim Kardashian. So it's like, yo, I can't, I can't with you anymore. You, you keep screwing me over. And he's like, how, oh, how? Oh, you know, I was telling the truth, this and that. I was telling y'all, I was telling people how I feel. She's like, forget about telling people how you feel. Not everybody needs to know our business. You know what I mean? Like, like, are you wilding right now? I don't literally tell everybody my business. You know what I mean? So, so they had that whole conversation, right? And they're like, look, let's break up. And now, now, because this is classic. This is classic. I've seen this happen maybe like a couple of times where, matter of fact, this also happened with me. <laughs> Where, you know, uh, the the girl and the guy, they, they could like each other. And let's go with the guy's point of view in this, his sake. That <clears throat> for some odd reason, you know, the guy liked the girl before she got with him. And when she got with him and started liking him, he stopped liking her. So it was reversed with Kanye. It's like he fell in love with her when she was like at a distance and him trying to get to know her. But as soon as he got to know her and all that, he, I guess he got bored and just felt like, oh, now I got to control you and show you, I mean, how to, how to make me not feel as bored. And so by me not having to feel like I'm as bored is by also by managing you and helping you out, but you know, what I mean, there's times when I can't manage you and help you out, or you know, he believes so, so he goes off on his own, does his own thing, and then he's like, "Yo, whoa, why you mad at me?" I mean, when I'm around, I try to help you, I try to manage you. And she's like, "Look, I don't need managing or really help. I do appreciate and I always accept it, but dang, bro." <clears throat> So I mean now she's like, yo, I'm through. I don't want I don't want you to manage me. I don't want you to be around me or talk to me anymore. And he's like, yo, I'm about to miss out on the thing that I was sort of taking for granted. Now I know what it's like because for the last six years, he had no problem of of the idea and filtering love and affection and sexual feelings because he had the, I mean, for pop culture for like the last decade, the sex icon. And none other did he had that idea. He actually was married to that. So it's like an abundance in that whole ego in that, you know, being able to filter that. So now that complete ideal standard that was literally your wife and your life is cut off it is just so comfortable for him or even realistic the way he see it to be with anybody else like who else can measure up to her the way he, the way he values her is what he sees in her and he couldn't see that in Julia Fox or at least the 
her background isn't compatible, but I think even maybe, you know, the, <clears throat> the extra amenities, whether it be physical or, you know, actual life, you know, is it, you know, can, can it be a Kim? And no, you know, Julia Fox isn't going to buy buy, you know, Kanye West a Lamborghini. <laughs> she can't afford a Lamborghini. <laughs> you know, the best thing Julia Fox could do for Kanye West is, you know, like what Kim Kardashian did. You know, give him a family. Or, you know, give him a sense of family. And here she is, you know, leaving her husband you know, that also element probably just didn't jive with him. Maybe, you know, hypocritically speaking, obviously, because he took, you know, Kim from Chris Humphreys. You know, a lot of people say, like, yo, Kanye regarding his love is messed up. Like, he a red flag type of dude. Like his artistry, but... Looking at the way he be with women, it's like, yo, this... He's like, I guess, a bad guy, you know. Especially if he likes you, you know what I mean, type vibe. So now, you know, I'm dumb. Julian, he's with this extra. Because I don't know, no, nobody knows her. And they're calling her extra because, you know, he's dressing her up like Kim Kardashian. Even when they said with Julia Fox, he's dressing Julia Fox up like Kim. It's like, yeah. It's like, you know. At this point, Kim Kardashian is still rocking the style, and that's just naturally her style. I mean, that's what he gave to her, and what Kanye learned from Kim is how to run media. And you see, even in year 2022, he still manages to be relevant and to dominate media and to make big money. <coughs> McDonald's, right? That McDonald's commercial, the Balenciaga deal, the Gap deal, you know, that's some big money, you know, deal with Apple, which he ended, or at least for his live performance, he now won third hand and, you know, uh, $100 million payout because he's probably thinking, oh, I can make that all on my own. Without your involvement, it's like, all right. So, anything else? You know, Kanye West. Last note is, you got to appreciate the man why he still got him. Because, you know, you never know what Kanye West. And I could see so very well that... We we have learned to love Kanye West and his flaws. We have given him multiple chances. You know, the culture, the race, everything, you know, the rap community. We, we Nobody can say that we didn't give Kanye West a second chance and a third chance and really looked at him in full transparency and accept his <clears throat> his condition. What I'm afraid is... Kanye's going to be 
the exception in that, you know, a new artist in our future, we're not going to be able to, to, to appreciate and to forgive and to learn like what we learned from Kanye. You know, I, I can see very much so, like, when Kanye passed, like, being, like, when he kept on saying, I'm the greatest artist, like, people just going and just be like, yo, he really was the greatest, yo. I can honestly see, you know, people going back to his work and seeing the beauty in all of his work, because that's also, like, the Kanye effect is that you can see something for the surface and think that, is worthless or is not well thought out until you learn a little more about something then you'll see the inspiration and how the thought came to be and then the idea you know flourishes and it's like wow so something that he does is is so as thoughtless as you would think <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and continue our episode going over the different houses for our Capricorn rising frame. All right. So we already established whole house, equal house, and we're, we're going to be doing whole house. All right. So the signs are going to be in more than one house. All right. So we already went over the sun in the first house, Mercury in the second house, Venus in the third house, the fourth house, we're going to be talking about Mars. Now, you got your Mars in your fourth house. Mm, this house is traditionally the moon. Traditionally, Cancer. So, Cancer the sign is feminine, and the moon is feminine. <laughs> so, when you got Mars here, you got a dissonance going on, because when you got that strong masculinity <clears throat> right next to conjunct transit, that female, like Mars, you, you got somebody that, I, if I believe, somebody that could be pretty darn violent. <laughs> I'm the type of vibes I'm getting. With Mars in the fourth house type of Negro. <laughs> and you got your Aquarius. If, I mean, we'll say, for example, right? Aquarius right here, right? Boy, oh boy. Well, Aquarius is a male sign. And you got Mars here as male. So it, it balances right here. There's some balancing. It balances out right here. <laughs> Capricorn rising friend got a little... Got a little... A little bit of luck on this side. You see that? So, the Mars with this sign means that 
your passion, your purpose. This is more so than what you want to cooperate with as far as that little Aquarian thing you got. You yourself. When you ask yourself, oh, what's the life purpose? Aquarius will step out and be like, look, I got your Mars. And what does the warrior say? What is the warrior fighting for? All this for what? The warrior says. In an Aquarian way, it has to be. It's saying that it is at home, literally, because the fourth house could be the home. At home. <coughs> means at taking action and things that you hold close to you things that you would consider if it was threatened it, it is threatening your security if your security is money when that is threatened you feel not at home out of place you cannot relax and and live the rest of the day out like it's nothing if it's about your loved ones this is this is the true essence of security. And when you think about cancer and that grip they got is are you able to keep a strong grip on the things that make you feel secure, whether as vain and as shallow as it is or how wholehearted morally it should be. And with Mars being here, then again, it could be a great placement. That's when you figure out what true security is in your Aquarian-like way. All right. So, fourth house, fifth house. Let's say the moon. The moon right here in the in the fifth house. All right. And let's go in and say Pisces. <clears throat> Pisces here Pisces moon the Pis uh the moon and Pisces I believe is um out of bounds this is a very strong placement when it's in Pisces malefic placement Because the moon is the unseen. The moon is the mind. And when you're dealing with Pisces. In the mind. You you got a more complete picture. Or a person that. Has a great understanding. When it comes to that intuition. And insight they have. In their mind. And how it can also mix with them emotionally. So the fifth house. Traditionally ruled by the sun. This would be children. Generosity. Grace right here. With Leo. So having the moon right here in the fifth house. Is a not too bad placement. Because in the astrological chart. Cancer. Home to the moon is right next to the sun, Leo, sign. So 
then in place right here will give a nice balance to where your mind is in public and how maybe other people would view I guess that mental aura that you bring to the table and in a malefic Piscean way but you know Pisces aren't Aren't always dream and malefic and spiritual. Pisces is also the professional. And these people are resilient. These people are, could be, are strong. They are strong. Because the thing that Pisces go through is something we could all learn from. Even if we don't go through it, the, the, it's like their life happens for a reason. Things happen for a reason for their life. And in a Pisces eyes, God exists. Because they, 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 they went through some things that would be the best evidence of supernatural you know, uh, elements and concepts that are around us and what they go through and how they think. This is that deep for them. It's just how it is for, for, for Pisces in their life. And that natural element that they bring, you know. So let's go ahead and do another example. Pisces and Mars in the fourth house. So a Pisces fourth house, this is, I, I'll, if I had to take a guess, this is a loving person. For some reason, I'm thinking, you know, Pisces fourth house, loving. But Pisces Mars, though, I think this is somebody that could get the idea of something that no other people would see, <clears throat> you know? I believe, yeah, with, with like Mars, with Pisces, the way it comes off to me is like somebody that can see a vision that no, and it's, it's not supposed to be for everybody to see, honestly, about, about like, the unseen, and it's called the unseen for a reason. You know what I mean? So, well, if, if if Pisces with bars could be around some people that could believe in their ideas and what they're driving for, you could you could make the dream work with some teamwork. You know. Because, you know, the, the natural element of Pisces is Jupiter and Neptune. You know, the dream and the expansion. Natural element of Aquarius is Uranus and um, Saturn. So, you know, when we go back to the Aquarius with the Venus... <coughs> 
like I said, that, that Uranus-like thing would make love for that Venus one-sided, a bit off, a bit unusual, a bit untraditional. You know, um, but, you know, it's an air sign. So that floatiness and love, Libra's like that. Gemini's, you know, the, the gab could put their head in any type of group and, you know, with the conversation could blend in. They could like that, but other people may not like that. And then you got, you know, I see Aquarius second home as Saturn, and it may not be for other people. But when Aquarius develops that Saturn-like nature, that's when you got power. Because, you know, when, when Aquarius is distracted from that innovative idea that could change the community. That's when, you know, it all falls to nothing. Capricorn, <coughs> Saturn, obviously. So that that ego with the sun in the first house, if, if it could master that boundaries right there, it could be another one that 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 would shine, illuminate, and you would still have that boundary that would protect you. That's that's why when Libra is paired with Saturn, when Venus is paired with Saturn, is a win because. That is that element that when you see that that person that could generate all these people and so generous and likable, charming, good looking, you know, just just like the a, a public figure, and it's like almost like. They could whirl you into it, but within all of this, you, you know, um, you can tell that there's boundaries and that you can't just influence them and sidetrack them and interject. That That's the power with Libra or Venus is, is with Saturn, you know, because with, cause Libra... <laughs> Like the compatible cube right there. And when it comes to individuality, it could shift and cause imbalances just by it being the compatible cube, you know, in this whole game. You know, Saturn is the only planet in the whole solar system that has that capability to contain the air, that rushing, escaping air that Libra or Venus is so famous for escaping with everybody. You know, when 
when we're thinking about Libra and Venus, we're thinking like, oh, this is the ultimate love. They they don't want to be apart. But in, in all reality, they're bound to always look for the perfect partner. They're always bound for that. And settling is... It doesn't sit well with them when they're always balancing, balancing, balancing. So once when they get with that one element that could finally contain that air in its entirety, it's Saturn and you got a complete person right there. All right, so that was the fifth house. That was Moon. Let's go along. Um... Yep, let's say Saturn is in the sixth house. Saturn in the sixth house, and you know, let's say Pisces, right? So this is the knowledge that you inherit. This is your bodily self, and when you view your completeness. The first house is stuff that you're learning about the past, your your past self and your default self, you know, things that you can't change. The six houses, ironically, if you can figure out what you do know about your life and and how you are as a person, this is like Almost like your life house. And even if you don't have a planet here, of course you got a sign here. And that sign would illustrate how <clears throat> your, your, your interpersonal power. When you're making a decision, you make this decision in this, for example, Pisces-like way. And you got that Jupiter, you got that Neptune element, like, right there with that Saturn. So, you you guard your, yourself, you know. This is the house of, I mean, this is the planet of, of boundaries. This is the planet of time, of limit. And when you learn Saturn's lessons, then the door will be open to you. And you will know even how to be better than Saturn when you learn Saturn's lesson. In regards to the sixth house yourself, is speaks, I think, some value, especially with Pisces, you know, the concept of the internalized, internalized dream, you or the expressed um, insight. The Pisces is, is the highest element of all the signs and meaning that they are also the element of the unseen. It's almost like this element hides things from you. And that <clears throat> you know, going back to the Pisces with the with the moon, you know, there can be moments that 
you, I guess a person would hide their emotions or hide the the ideas that they might be thinking that they may not want to bring out, you know, or exhibits, you know, for themselves, you know, regardless if anybody's around. You know, with Saturn here, it could, you know, it could be a bit tough for you to trust in yourself because that's the thing about Pisces is 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 the trust. Two fish swimming. If the fish are worried about their finite life. They won't be in harmony swimming in circles around one another. And if one was to strike one of the fish or take one of it away, the assurance and faith and belief and hope that things will be all right, things will be okay, would manifest this, you know, the replacement and that's how life is, or at least that's how Pi that's what Pisces knows when they're exercising faith. Or I should probably say that's what happens in Pisces life, even if they don't know, is that the things in their life that for some odd reason was taken or was stripped or was struck will be healed, will be replaced. And, you know, whether they want it or not, that's where it's also like these people are just naturally spiritual because it's like even like if you was to look or even if they don't admit it if, if they do that there's some irony in their life regarding things of I would say concept magic you know the, the concept of magic or what makes a magic trick is none other than you make something like change or disappear but bringing it back doing it again that's also the thing of, of Pisces you know of, of what people are amazed about them in whatever occupation they, they're in they do it so six house Let's go to 7th house. It says Saturn. Next, Uranus in the 7th house. And right after that, we can say Aries. It's right here. So. <coughs> Aries in the 7th house. This is the house of relationships. This is the house of the hypothetical somebody on the other side of the table. Some people like to take this as, oh, this is your partner. This is the person you're going to love or your soulmate, your twin flame. This is somebody who you could be attracted to. This could be somebody who you might see as envious. This is somebody who might see you as envious. This is somebody who you might see as the buffoon non-understanding you you see it you you see it irrational you you just don't understand their their ego their communication their purpose you know this is the exact opposite of you 
for your logical reasons, you turn left, you pick up something to your left. For all of their logic and everything that they do, they're going for the right. And as much logic and as sense and as rationale, as practical as you think you are, and why you made that decision, you could be looking at them going to the right and say, what is, you know, I wouldn't do life like that. And that's, you know, the literal purpose and the reason why this point of the graph is all the way on the exact opposite side of your initial point. And that's how the best sum it up. And with Uranus here, this is doubly doubly so when it comes to how you position yourself or how you know you just find yourself and you know uh, with some odd different other side type of people you, you have odd friends or odd partnerships because this is the unique Uranus this is unique. This isn't the same old Venus that could be traditional and good and compatible. You know, Uranus, you, you, you roll with it or you're not. That's Aquarius, you know. I thought you was down for the ride, but you're not, you know, type of vibe. So, with Uranus in, like, your relationships, yeah, I basically summed it up. And Aries here is your relationships give you purpose. It, it could give you the drive. They could give you the answers that you're looking for that you wouldn't have even considered in your life. Not with your little pea brain, but good thing you have friends that are so uniquely different. These are a, a group of individuals you know, in your life. And it's Aries here, so... These, these aren't just bozos. These are people in their own right in your life that 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 are, are giants of their own. You know, they're knights, they're kings, princes, princesses, all on their own. And I, I think that's beautiful right there. So, like we do in the last, you know, for example, Aries with Saturn. <clears throat> it is in its detriment because when the warrior has to exercise its purpose or its order, its duty with boundaries, it, it, it's hard for it to... Even do Aquarius-like thing, you know, with with Mars to to be unique in its in its dealings. So, this is uh, you know a bad placement, as we would say, because Aries with this type of placement would see its boundaries as a hindrance, or you know, and other people may not even see it or believe it. But they would begin to, I guess, manifest that. And if they're able to get over these boundaries that they have in their life, whether it's very much so mental or actualized, you know, the warrior shall finally triumph.
<clears throat> they will. They have to. All right, and our last planet for the lesson, we could say Neptune in the eighth house. Neptune in the eighth house, as you could gander, is this is something else right here. This is if I just had to shoot in the dark, it literally is shooting in the dark when it comes to the things of the unseen, like what we went over with in the beginning with the eighth house. This is traditionally Pluto Scorpio's house. Malefic right here, just naturally with Merc, I mean Neptune. Here in Scorpio, this is somebody that has a way with their imagination and it brings power actualized with Neptune being in this eighth house. This person could be very much like a spiritual leader type of type of vibe. You know, this is like the person the closest you're gonna get to some supernatural powers in this world because Scorpio is the power, and when you're putting the power with this, like, Neptune, so when you got Aries, Aries with Neptune, when the warrior wakes up to the dream, or wakes up from the dream, he will have this burst of fire, if you could imagine that. When, you know, it could be a problem when the warrior is too caught up in dreams. And it could be a, a very beautiful and flourishing thing when the warrior is able to implement some things or some elements of, from his or her dream into the real world. Because, you know, that's that's the thing about dreams is they could be metaphorical and not really actualized. The dream could be you drowning and what you could honestly take from it on a more metaphorical, practical note is make sure you put on a, a safety vest when you're jumping into the pool, you know, something like that. Or... Remember that, remember your swimming lessons or remember that you cannot swim. You know, it could be taken as that on the most practical level. And when you got practical Aries, because Aries is practical, able to funnel that ether that illuminates from Neptune. <clears throat> you got a leader of some sort that could change lives because that's what Neptune does with Pisces when they when they go through their rebirth prop purpose uh, process. It's like, whoa! All Pisces are all bound to re rebirth to be reborn. I see it all the time. And that's, that's their natural element. 
That's the spiritual life, you know. It's the blessing, it's the curse. It's sort of reminiscent of Scorpio, but a lot more less toxic and dramatic. I mean, in a toxic way, you know, Scorpio's dramatic. But, you know, not to take away dramatic from Pisces, you know, if, you, if you're able to, because Pisces is... You know, the dream. <laughs> because this, because when you're talking about Pisces, you're literally talking about the realm of the unseen, the realm of the indescribable. For you to describe it means that you're actually not describing it because we're talking about the hidden knowledge. <laughs> And thank you for tuning in to today's episode.